0: Welcome to the Core Principles Podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we hope you'll enjoy this lively discussion of relevant topics, which we attempt to examine through the lens of unchanging objective truth. Here's the host of the Core Principles Podcast, Clay Howerton.
1: Thank you, Suzanne. Today we get to resume our discussion with a very special guest, Dr. Donald Devine, who worked with President Reagan as his director of the Office of Personnel Management. He has written a new book, the Enduring Tension, Capitalism, and the Moral Order. In our previous episode, we began discussing this book and some of the principles that he lays out in it. Today, we resume and conclude that discussion on this important new book. Well, it does require a lot of thought, as you mentioned, Dr. Devine. And unfortunately, a lot of people are more just into feeling. And and some of them may be idealistic. And so, like you say, I don't want to blame people for feeling a particular way or for having idealistic thoughts, but reality is obdurate. And I think in terms of uh, capitalism and moral order, socialism itself uh, seems to be immoral because it must necessarily be imposed against our human nature. Whether people think that they want to choose socialism, some people think, yeah, let's choose that it always must eventually be enforced because people don't naturally act the way that people would have to act for socialism to be sustainable every human being uses our limited resources first to take care of the needs of our loved ones and even ourselves and capitalism assumes that's the case every model, mathematical or otherwise, has assumptions behind it. And that's the assumption, I think, behind capitalism is that people act that way. And because that is consistent with reality, then capitalism at least has a chance to work. But socialism could only work if humans behaved the opposite way. And therefore, socialism ends up being imposed by force. How do you think that idealists who might be inclined to want socialism, not knowing any better, can be convinced of sort of the horrors of socialism before it's too late?
2: Well, there's only one thing I know to do is to look into history, philosophy, science, and kind of understand uh, what the world is really like. Periods of peace, like we see in America, they don't last long, (laughs) most of the world. And it is, it's a romanticism, I wrote in my previous book and other things. I mean, the, the romantic uh, movement, Rousseau, and I deal with Rousseau in there, but not so much emphasizing his romantic side. I mean, Rousseau was another one of these great thinkers that changed how the, this attitude you're talking about of empathy, uh, whole idea is from him uh, reject thinking. That's why it, it, philosophy is important. Uh, I mean, thinking, uh, history. Uh, And look, in in our schools, I mean, they're de-emphasizing all of those subjects. And again, I I don't blame the people. I mean, they're taught what that that is. Uh, I always remember a professor uh, who was giving a lecture on a very negative uh, attitude about society going downhill. And at the end of it, a a guy stands up in the audience and he says, how can you be so pessimistic about society uh, when... The only ones having children are Christians, people who were in belief, other people aren't having. It. So the long term, this is going to be good for us. So uh, he says, you're going to send your children to college? I mean, that is the point. <laughs> uh, you can do all that in your family if you send them off to uh A school that's going to give them only that, I mean, you can't even give a conservative speech on most of the the major campuses anymore. Uh, People, when I was at the University of Maryland, the big school, people would always ask me, where should I send my child to school? I said, keep them within a traveling distance of home that's the most important thing you can do for your children in education it's not sending them to yale unless you live in uh, connecticut Uh, send them someplace where they have to come home uh, for maybe once a week on the weekend uh, so that they get the influence from you Uh, you're going to have to have them come in conflict with this because it is the dominant ideology uh, in america at least right now Uh, you know it's certainly the loudest Uh, (laughs) it's true in terms of numbers because they won't let conservatives in i had a hard time getting into being a professor uh and and it's much much worse today much much worse today much more of a
1: closed system than it was
2: in my day Uh,
1: they have become indoctrination centers according to some other folks whose opinion i also uh value i wanted to go back momentarily for a look at the bureaucracy, we talked about how it's getting out of control. And and you said something that fascinated me about it. You explained that the laws that Congress writes are very broad and that they give the bureaucrats really vast regulatory power. And you observe that, quote, Congress has little idea what the bureaucracy is actually doing, unquote. And so you further explain that business people can't fathom or even understand the regulations that they're under, not just business people, I think of hospitals. They don't even know what the rules of the Affordable Care Act all are. How can they possibly follow them? And that, therefore, all these business people and people out there uh, trying to do their daily work are always at increasing risk of being punished by the bureaucracy for any petty little thing that any vengeful government employee might choose to use as a weapon. Is there a way that we can correct that problem? Is it only going to keep growing and growing or can we right size the government again
2: the only way you can do it is to get this government back where people are the guy who wrote understand the uh, early america uh, best the guy in alexis de wrote mm-hmm. the first great book on democratic democracy and using america came over in the early right. 19th century uh he said what they, they, he he was in france and they sent him over here Find out how the penal system works in uh, America. uh, uh, Come back and tell us uh, how they do it. Maybe we can learn from He goes around the country. He can't find the government, all right? There is no government uh, in America. Uh, Everything's done by private associations or or very local government villages. Didn't know anything about how the federal government was working. They did everything that way, Uh, mostly voluntary, but the local government. That's what we have to get back. We have to have a government where the people are involved and can make an effect on what's going on. Mathematicians have proven beyond a doubt, you know, even Rousseau, you can't have the same amount of influence over a government if there's 300 million as you have with 10,000 or 8,000. The problem is that we don't give enough authority at the local level. We're we're trying to do one size fits all from washing and one size does not fit all. Uh, We know it with our clothing. We know it in our habits. uh, uh, Why don't we know it in government? Uh, It doesn't work. Uh, That's the bottom line. What we have doesn't work. we got to try something different. We've tried this for 100 years. We keep giving more and more money, more and more rules, more and more Uh, levels of government uh, and it doesn't work come on let's change what we're doing uh, and go back to what did work Uh, it's to me not complicated even though you have to do a lot of philosophy and science uh,
1: and history to get there it's simple though it's not complicated but it's difficult to do because (laughs) the forces arrayed against doing it have the power for example uh, term limiting the legislature in D.C. I asked our uh, Kentucky Senator Rand Paul one time, are we ever going to get that? And he said, no, you need 67 of us and you've got two. You got me and you got Ted Cruz. So you're not going to get it through us. Uh, they're not going to term limit themselves. Well, Dr. Devine, to, to wrap up, I wanted to ask you uh, in summary, if there's one or two key principles that should inform how people think about the country is run, that people should comprehend or understand but you you perceive that they simply don't so if people listening could hear from you one or two things that they ought to pursue to think about that maybe they hadn't thought about would you have uh, a priority of what the top things they ought to look into might be
2: i'm serious this is the time for us to think and read and understand. Uh, we're going to have very little influence on what goes on in Washington, and certainly in the next two years. Uh, this is a time for people who are interested in politics, want to do something, uh, or interested in ideas. This is a time to think, to go back, read my book, read 50 books, and read serious books. Uh, a lot of the ones that just get you upset or uh that you're mad at somebody that is isn't what we need what we need right now is serious thinking about how government what is the problem the problem is that we've gone against the constitution we follow woodrow wilson uh, woodrow wilson uh, a great intellect he was president of, of uh, princeton university it, it, he was a great thinker uh, but he was wrong you can't turn government over to experts uh you've got to have people run the government uh, as the experts are always at some point and it doesn't even have to go to socialism progressivism is the one it goes to force uh, and look what they're doing now again the people are threatened with their jobs where is freedom of speech uh, i mean today's the left uh, is not liberal in any sense. That's why I always use the term progressive, which is the proper term, which is the term they want. That is the problem. It's a kind of a moderate socialism is what it is. And it says the experts in Washington know what to do. Wilson wrote a book I had to read in graduate school. and <laughs> I went uh, and it was a critique of Congress. Congress is too representative of people. We've got to get the power out of Congress into the hands of the president. Well, we've done that. And, you know, you quoted my thing, the Congress don't know what's going on in the bureaucracy. They don't. I don't know any of them. Even the best ones know what's going on. In theory, some of them do, but none of them know. Great Ludwig von Mises wrote a little skinny book, a Yale University book called Bureaucracy, which is what taught me about government private and public sectors are run totally different way, all right? They're based on totally different assumption and principle. The private sector has it so easy. The private sector, you can go down 50 levels in an organization and just ask one question, is it making a, a profit or not? All right? If it's not making a profit, you change it. What happens in the government? You go down, you can't you keep asking people how it's going, and it's in their thing. Oh, boy, well, it's going great. All right. But what happens if you find out it isn't working? You cut it out? No, you give more money to it to make it work. All right. And you keep throwing more uh, uh, good money after bad. Uh, the, the whole idea of centralization, that having one thing going up multiple layers, it doesn't work. Uh, even i say in your area i was in the military too it doesn't work there either Uh, what you do with there though is you put a lot of redundancies in and you try to have uh, an alarm that works although i'm afraid the military's lost a lot of that too i don't know what would happen if we really had
1: a big war like world war ii Uh, i'm a little worried about that Uh, i pray we don't have to find that out because uh, (laughs) one thing i recognized in the military was that when it came down to it, uh, we knew the mission, ultimately. It's like the mission in the private sector was to make a profit for the investors and for the, the company. And the mission in the military was to support and defend the Constitution against all enemies. And, well, you know, that's that's a
2: very good point, too, uh, that the mission has to be kept simple. Yes. If it's going to work in government because of the problem of communication, the simpler you make it, uh, some of the best uh, political uh, public administration people said that complexity in government once you get two things you're doing you, you confuse a government the fbi is a perfect example i give that in the book too uh, the fbi used to have one job and uh, that is to give evidence and trials to try to decide if somebody uh, committed a crime and if they did how uh, to do it but we gave them a second job to be internal uh, investigators. Now we give them two different jobs, two competing jobs. And I quote an FBI uh, expert who was in there for years. And so once you get that second one, you're throwing government off. Government and agency, because of communication is so difficult, you have to make the the, the, the mission's simple, and that's why the military works better than the civilian because it is one job at the end, although we're giving them a lot more jobs now, aren't we?
1: Their focus guy. is no longer as keen as it once was. Okay. This is something I really loved about Ronald Reagan was from my little perspective as a citizen and then you know as an Air Force cadet during his uh, tenure, he had two really easily understandable, big, audacious goals reduce the tax burden on the citizens and the businesses, and defeat Soviet communism. I could understand those, and they were simple things to focus on, and, and he did them, and it was great.
2: When he ran for president, he, he summarized them. He said, this is what I believe. God, family, freedom, neighborhood, work. Yes, sir.
1: Simple. Simple is good. Well, Dr. Donald Levine, uh, there's so much in your book, The Enduring Tension. It, it's really worthy of uh, thought. I hope people will seek it out, buy it, and study it, uh, not just read it. This one requires study, but it's worth it. So, thank you so much, Donald Devine, for sharing your insights here on the Core Principles Podcast. And God bless you.
2: Thank you, Clay. This is great. I love to see you in person. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> you come to Washington, definitely. Let me know.
0: Now it's time for our special historical segment, featuring a practical example of how core principles are applied.
1: On the 12th of February, 1974, one day before he was exiled to the West, Soviet dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn released his essay called, Live Not by Lies. Its themes are timeless, but some of the terminology I have updated to the current moment, and I share Solzhenitsyn's message here. At one time, we dared not even whisper. Now we write on and read from social media platforms, and sometimes when we gather, such as our puppet masters allow, we complain frankly to one another. What kind of tricks are they playing on us, and where are they dragging us? There is gratuitous boasting of cosmic achievements while poverty and destruction exist at home. Propping up remote, uncivilized regimes, fanning up civil war, is there any way out... They put anybody they want on trial and put sane people in asylums. Always they. We are powerless. What can we do to stop it? We haven't the strength. We have been so hopelessly dehumanized that we are willing to abandon all our principles, our souls, and the efforts of our predecessors, as well as all the opportunities for our descendants. Just don't disturb our fragile existence. We lack resolution, pride, and enthusiasm. We fear acts of civil courage. We are afraid to lag behind the herd and to take one step alone and suddenly to find ourselves without needful things. We have bought the false message that we could live comfortably and all would be well ever after. We lie to ourselves to preserve our peace of mind. It is not they who should be blamed, but ourselves. One can object, but one cannot imagine what to do. Gags have been stuffed into our mouths and masks over our faces. Nobody wants to listen to us and nobody asks our opinion. How can we force them to listen to us? It is impossible to change their minds. It would be logical to vote them out of office, but elections have been overwhelmed by fraud such that voting is irrelevant and those who are now fraudulently in control seek to perpetuate that nation-destroying catastrophe. It would be logical to demonstrate that But the leftist's violence is called peaceful, while even our calm words are deemed violence. Should we wait without taking any action? Maybe something will happen by itself. But it will never happen as long as we daily acknowledge, extol, and strengthen, and do not sever ourselves from the most perceptible of its aspects, lies. When violence intrudes into peaceful life, its face glows with self-confidence as if it were carrying a banner, shouting, I am violence! Run away! Make way for me! I will crush you! But violence grows old and loses confidence in itself. To maintain a respectable face, violence summons falsehood as its ally, since violence can conceal itself with nothing except lies, and the lies can be maintained only by violence. Violence does not lay its paw on every shoulder every day. It demands from us only obedience to lies and daily participation in lies. And this submissiveness is the crux of the matter. The simplest and most accessible key to our self-neglected liberation is this. Personal non-participation in lies. Though lies may conceal everything... Though lies may control everything, we should be obstinate about this one small point. Let them be in control, but without the help from any of us. This opens a breach in the imaginary encirclement caused by our inaction. It is the easiest thing for us to do, and the most destructive thing, against the lies. Because when people renounce lies, it cuts short their existence. Like a virus... Lies can only survive in a living organism. Let us refuse to say what we do not think. Our path is not that of giving conscious support to lies about anything at all. If we did not paste together the dead bones and scales of ideology, if we did not sew together rotting rags, we would be astonished how quickly lies would be rendered helpless and they would subside. That which should be naked would then really appear naked before the whole world. Therefore, from this day onward, let us resolve that we will not sign, write, or print in any way a single phrase that distorts the truth, that we will not utter lies, neither in private conversation nor in public, neither on our own behalf, nor at the prompting of someone else, that we will not depict, foster, or broadcast a single idea in which we can see distortions of the truth. That we will not cite out of context, orally or in writing, a single quotation to please someone, or to feather our own nest, or to achieve success, if we do not completely share the idea which is quoted, or if it does not accurately reflect the matter at issue. And that we will not subscribe to, nor buy, any publication in which information is distorted and primary facts are concealed. I have enumerated, of course, Not all the possible and necessary ways of avoiding lies, but whoever begins to cleanse himself will easily apply the cleansing pattern to other cases. It will not be the same for everybody at first. Some will lose their jobs, but there are no loopholes for anybody who wants to be honest. On any given day, any one of us will be confronted with at least one of the above choices, either truth or falsehood towards spiritual independence or towards spiritual servitude. And he who is not sufficiently courageous to defend his soul, don't let him be proud of his progressive views, and don't let him boast that he's an academician or an artist or a distinguished person. Let him instead say to himself, I'm part of the herd. I'm a coward. It's all the same to me as long as I'm fed and kept warm. This will not be an easy path, but it is, in fact, the easiest of all the possible paths. And there are those among us, dozens of them, who have been observing all these conditions for years and who live by the truth. Therefore, you will not be the first to take this path. You will join others. It will be easier and shorter if we embark on this path in great and friendly numbers. If we are in the thousands, it will not be possible for them to do anything to anyone. And if we are in the tens of thousands, we will no longer recognize our own country. But if we are too frightened then we should stop complaining that we're being suffocated. We will be doing it to ourselves. If we bow down even further and wait longer, our brothers, the biologists, may then help to bring nearer the day when our thoughts can be read and our genes restructured. If we are too frightened to do anything, then we are hopeless and worthless people and the lines of Pushkin would fit us well. What use to the herds? the gifts of freedom. The scourge and a yoke with tinkling bells, this is their heritage bequeathed to every generation.
0: Core Principles Podcast is produced in Paducah, Kentucky by Real Productions. Music is by Late July, L-E-I-G-H-T July. You can find our music on all streaming services or at latejuly.com. Thank you for joining us today for this episode of the Core Principles Podcast. Please visit for more information. And please share with your friends. We look forward to visiting with you again on our next episode.